Welcome to the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast, the podcast that travels back into time to review classic episodes of Jim Crockett Promotions' Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling as it appears on the NBC Universal streaming service Peacock, as well as internationally on the WWE Network. I am Mike Sempervivi, and I'm being joined by Roman Gomez. And if you're out there listening and want to follow along with us, but don't have access to Peacock or the network, you can still do so by heading over to the MightyMidAtlanticGateway.com and checking out David Tobb's reviews of these classic shows. The Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast has social media on several platforms. By far, we're the most active on Twitter, but we have a Facebook page, Instagram, and more. Just search at Mid-Atlantic Pod and look for the logo. We're also available on YouTube as well, youtube.com slash midatlanticpod, where you can find podcasts and other content exclusive to the page. Please subscribe, watch, and like the videos. It would be doing us a great service. And we also have a Patreon as well, which you can find at patreon.com slash midatlanticpodcast. Now with all that out of the way, today in episode number 55, we take a look at the television that was taped on Wednesday, February 9th, 1983, at the WPCQ Studios, Channel 36, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and began airing in local markets beginning that weekend of Saturday, February 12th, 1983. Bringing my co-host Roman Gomez right now. Roman, how are you today, my friend? I'm doing good, Mike. It's a little overcast here, so it's only 90 degrees instead of 417 degrees. So <laughs> got to enjoy it while I can. It is always baking in Las Vegas, Nevada, is it not? Uh, yeah, it can, it can get uh, get a little toasty, especially when you're working in buildings with no air conditioning, which makes it a little brutal. I had to do that uh, two days this week, so it uh, makes it a little challenging. Ooh, boy, I like my mid-Atlantic life, you know, we're close enough to those Appalachian mountains if you want to go out that way, and close enough to the beach if you want to go out that way. I will stick with my East Coast biases, and I will hide in my little cocoon here in the mid-Atlantic area. That is too extreme for me, but we have got extremes happening as the road to Greensboro is getting closer, and we started off hot today. On this episode of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, we have got footage from this past Saturday night in Greensboro, North Carolina, of Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle defending the NWA World Tag Team Championship against Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. David Crockett and Bob Cottle are both on the call. We see just enough of the match to tease us, and the tape stops abruptly. When Youngblood locks Kernoodle in the Cobra Clutch, we do get great news, though, as Bob mentions that the fans at home are going to be able to see what went down. And in fact, here is Bob at the close of that clip as he welcomes in Sir Oliver Humperdinck, a man that many people had believed had fled the area. And fans, a little later on in the program, you're going to see the conclusion of that match for the World Tag Team Championship. Jay Youngblood, Rick Steamboat against Don Carnoodle and Sergeant Slaughter. The world champions will have that match a little later on. Plus, we've got outstanding matches for the entire hour for you. Right now, Sir Oliver Humperdinck, and I understand that you have asked for this time. You have something you want to say. I am the man that nobody expected to see here in the Mid-Atlantic area again. Jimmy Valiant went around and told everybody 
that he run me out of town. Well, let me tell you one thing, Jimmy Valiant. You got rid of Ivan Koloff, you forced him to leave the area. Joe LaDuke is flat on his back, still in a hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. And you stole $5,000 from the one-man gang. And on top of all that, he put 17 stitches through my scalp. You can see them, they're right there. I would... I was flat on my back in a hospital for 10 days, and Jimmy Valiant, if you think I'm going to forget, if you think I'm going to forgive, you're very sadly mistaken. Now, this is what I want from Jimmy Valiant. He stole my money. He's beat me up. I want a match with Jimmy Valiant. It could be right here on your TV show today. It doesn't matter to me, but I want a match with Jimmy Valiant where I got a fair chance. I'm not saying any more than that. I want to meet the man face to face and see just how tough he really is. He's real good when he goes sneaking around, grabbing me from the ring post. I can't even go to the ring with my men anymore. But Jimmy Valiant, there's going to be a day and there's going to be a way when I get an even break and I get you in that ring. I'll do it right here. It doesn't matter to me. It could be right here on TV. Sir Oliver Humperdinck fans, and we'll be back. We'll see Jack Briscoe. And, can- and there we heard from Sir Oliver Humperdinck, and Roman will table the conversation on the NWA World Tag Team Championship for a little bit and just concentrate on Sir Oliver Humperdinck making an appearance, even though he looked like he was going to be gone from the area. He wants one last shot, it looks like, against the boogie woogie man Jimmy Valiant. And what made this different was that it was Sir Oliver that wanted a shot at Valiant, not one of Sir Oliver's henchmen, not one of his stable mates or anything, or it was him personally that wanted a revenge at Jimmy Valiant for everything he's done. Sir Oliver Humperdinck is not much longer for the area, but as you heard, the show was going to break. And when we got back, Bob was standing alongside Jerry Briscoe. They bantered a little bit before introducing Jerry's brother, Jack, For his match against Rick Harris, Jerry is still sore on his brother's behalf over the nefarious measures that Dory Funk Jr. and Paul Jones used to take the Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship away from him. Bob ran down the rest of the show, including mentioning flat out that there is a new manager in the area, but made sure to point out that it is not Paul Jones. It was also pointed out that this new manager does not have any clients yet either. As far as the match in the ring, it went for about three or four minutes with Briscoe taking home the victory with the figure four leg lock. We faded out, and when we came back from break, Dick Slater and the new Mid-Atlantic champion, Dory Funk Jr., were shown pacing around the ring. Bob mentions he's alongside Paul Jones. We then cut to another shot where television champion Mike Rotundo is shown passionately talking to our referee of the day, which is Stu Schwartz. Rotundo then leaves the ring, goes over to the announcer's desk, where we see that the black tuxedo that Paul Jones had on last week has now been traded in for a Carolina powder blue version, complete with a ruffled shirt. Rotundo apologizes to Cottle and the fans, saying that he has no idea where his partner is it was supposed to be Tommy Gilbert, and here's where we'll pick up the audio. Right now, here comes Mike. Sure over, Mike. Right here. You're supposed to have a partner could up you, there. Could you move Tommy out of the way for a second? No, no, no. You don't tell me to move nowhere. 
What's your problem? You tell them that's what your problem. Don't pay attention to me. I don't have any problem with you, Jones. I just it like to. Like, Rotundo, it looks like to me that you're having a hard time finding a partner. Those two well all machines up there, Dory Funk Jr. and Dick Slater, Listen, are ready wait, to wait, wrestle. Wait, wait. I'd like to apologize to you and the people here. I don't have a partner for tonight. The reason being, I don't know. I don't know where my partner is. It's supposed to be Tommy Gilbert. I don't know why he's not here. I'll tell you your problem. Nobody wants to be your partner, Rotundo. And I don't think that's the problem at all, Jones. I don't think that's the problem at all. You want to wrestle somebody? I'll settle this whole thing. Get in there and wrestle Dory Funk Jr. Yeah. Or get in there and wrestle me. But you better wrestle somebody because you're wasting my time and wasting these people's time and wasting Paul Jones's time. Well, get in there and wrestle. Get in there and do something. Well, that's right. I can't help it. My partner's not here. That's right. Mike. There's two of them, and I can't help it. I, like I said before, my partner Tommy Gilbert just. You as can't help a lot of things, punk. You can't help that you're not a man. They just offered Don't you a challenge you tell me here. I'm not a man, Jones. Listen, they Don't just you offered you a, a challenge right now, a challenge to get in a ring and wrestle what up. Are you a boy or a man? Takes off that TV championship belt. Dory Funk is in at the belt. And Paul's good hip toss right there by Rotundo. So we end up getting Mike Rotundo one-on-one with Dory Funk Jr. And before I make the hot tag over to Roman Gomez, I'm going to lay out a little bit more of this for everybody. As soon as the bell rang, Rotundo took control of the match right off the bat, which caused Dick Slater to be in hysterics on the outside of the ring. At one point, Stu Schwartz actually chased Slaughter off the apron, but then Dory Funk Jr. called out to Dick. He's desperate. He's getting flung around by his arm. He needs help. So Slater jumped back up to the apron. Dory tags him. The referee allows it. Bob's angry. Paul Jones immediately on commentary changed his tune on it being a tag match. This is the kind of stuff that can only happen in professional wrestling. Completely ridiculous. But because we have stars, and more importantly, sympathy going on, somebody that the fans like, it ends up being okay. The fans in that studio really like Mike Rotundo. They're cheering him on. They're seeing that he's getting the short end of the stick here. And this whole thing goes on for about three minutes until Jerry Briscoe hits the ring. Still wearing jeans and a sports jacket, he grabs Rotundo, drags him out of the ring, gives him time to take off his shirt. He's going to wrestle in jeans and cowboy boots. Funk and Slater continue to pour the heat on Rotundo, including Rotundo kicking out of a Dory pile driver. Rotundo finally makes the hot tag to Jerry, who comes in like a house of fire. And here's where we'll pick it up. Funk again now with a slam on Rotundo over the ropes and misses the elbow. Ducks under the right hand. Now let's see if he can make a tag. Trying to get to the corner. Here comes Slater. And he made it. Briscoe with a foot right into the midsection. Now Slater. Jerry Briscoe. Who came into the ring to give his friend a hand. Mike Rotundo, who had two men against him, Dory Funk Jr. and Dick Slater. It's been evened up a little bit now by Briscoe. There goes Rotundo out. Briscoe now double teamed. Yeah. 
Uh, Slater outside of the ring. He's got Rotundo. The atomic drop outside of the ring on the concrete floor by Slater. But Briscoe's got that figure four on Funk. Slater slamming the headbutts now right into Briscoe. Being held there by Funk as Funk has got his legs holding him in the ring as they sling the referee aside. It's been a wild time. Referee Stu Schwartz says, ring that bell. They're both now it looks like It looks like Jerry Briscoe at his back. Look at Jack Briscoe. Jack, Jack Briscoe. Paul Jones, Dory Funk Jr., Dick Slater all go flying out of the ring when Jack Briscoe comes charging in. And Slater and Funk. So it got pretty hot in that studio pretty quick. All four men brawling. Briscoe reverses a Dory Funk spinning toe hold into the figure four leg lock. Slater breaks it up by dropping an elbow and some knees onto Jerry. He then ended the match by flinging Stu Schwartz out of the way. In came Jack Briscoe to make the save. That was it in six minutes and 51 seconds. Roman, it felt like it actually went on a lot longer than that because the, how the match started and what took place after it, what took place during it with Briscoe running out there. Just a wild situation. Slater and Dory Funk Jr. obviously partnered up with Greg Valentine as well, too, as part of that holy trinity of heels in Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. But those guys looking like they are really going to stick together here, sticking it to both Briscoes and Mike Rotundo. Yeah, there was a lot going on, and when you're trying to take notes on this match, you know, first of all, you think, oh, it's Dorian Slater versus Rotundo and a partner. No, it's Rotundo versus Dory. No, it's Rotundo versus Dorian Slater. And there's, you know, kind of interesting in that regard, trying to figure out what was actually going to happen because Slater hopped up on the ring apron, so then you're thinking it's a tag match. Then he gets told to get down. and But anyway, all kinds of chaos, and then uh, the crowd really got into Rotundo. You know, they were chanting, uh, you know, let's go, Mike, go, Mike, go. And they were really rallying behind Rotundo. And Jerry Briscoe comes out, takes the sport coat off, starts going crazy. Crowd is into it. It was a lot of action there. And then uh, Jack Briscoe ended up eventually making the save. When the heels started going to work on Jerry Briscoe, Jack came out. And Jack was there because early on in the, in the show, he wrestled against Rick Harris. So all kinds of excitement and Paul Jones saying that Rotundo was not a man just simply because he would not get in the ring. Are you a boy or are you a man? And Rotundo, the baby face, had to stand up to the challenge and he was going to go up against two heels all by himself. And as it turned out, he actually did have an ally in Jerry Briscoe. You know, we poke a little fun at the promo abilities of Mike Rotundo and, and Paul Jones both. Paul Jones' style and Mike Rotundo at this point in his career almost scared on the microphone sometimes, but really, this was the best of both guys, and I did not cut the in lieu of promo that Mike Rotundo cut after this match, but it was very good. It was very, very good, and you heard Paul Jones just egging him on at the beginning, and I thought that's, that is Paul Jones, I think, at his best at that very beginning when he was really sticking it to Rotundo, and Rotundo shows, you know, if you send him out there to do an interview ice cold, and just say, talk, Mike, he can't do it. But after the match, once the blood was flowing, once he was, you know, he, he, he was offended by what had taken place, he was really fired up, and it was really his best stuff. 
you know, wrestling is based on emotion. And if we're supposed to believe that this was real, that there was kayfabe back then, you know, he had two guys he was competing against. And then a third one enters the ring. So he should be pissed off. So the promo that followed, it made a lot of sense. It seemed like it was Rotundo saying what a man would say if he got jumped by three guys. So it was a very good job by Rotundo in the, in the promo afterwards. Absolutely. And for those of you who will watch this show on the uh, network, definitely don't fast forward through that one. I thought that was really, really good with him expressing his frustrations with everything that just went down. That was in lieu of the local spots. It was followed up by a VTR sent in by Tampa's Championship Wrestling from Florida program, hosted by Gordon Soley and featuring a bunkhouse rules match between Terry Funk and golden boy Jerry Gray, whom Bob is calling Jay Gray. Terry is in his stylish orange dusty sucks egg shirt, his chaps and all of his bunkhouse attire. Gray is in regular wrestling gear. He has no idea what he's about to get into. Tommy Young is the referee. The fans chant, we want Dusty, so you know what this was originally taped for. It only went two minutes and five seconds, but it has got to be the longest two minutes and five seconds of Gray's life. He's beaten pillar to post with a Terry Funk's boot. He just gets mashed. And, and Roman, this is what the boogie-woogie man Jimmy Valiant is uh, apparently going to have to deal with real, real soon. And Funk, just when you mentioned the boot, he took the boot off and swung it and hit Gray in the face to get the victory. He just annihilated Gray. And this isn't the first time Funk has wrestled on Florida Wrestling in a bunkhouse match. If you guys may recall on a previous podcast, I mentioned how he wrestled a guy named Bruce Walkup. So those of you might want to look that up on YouTube. But yeah, Funk in a bunkhouse match, even against enhancement talent, like Funk is just incredible. And that boot to hit Jerry Gray, but good gosh, he, he really leveled them. And, and the, the shirt, you know, the dusty sucks eggs. I mean, just classic Terry Funk right there. And this was another one of those tapes that went all over the place. So a lot of people across the country saw Golden Boy Jerry Gray Getting mashed here by Terry Funk. After a break, we come back with Dick Slater being interviewed by Bob Cottle at the desk, and we get the reveal of a new manager in the area and an explanation for why they are without a client. Dick Slater, what you did up there to Mike Rotundo? Oh, are you trying to tell me that I am a nasty individual? Oh are you trying to tell me that I am wrong for doing that to a young kid that comes out here, Absolutely. tries to insult me, tries to insult Dory Funk Jr., and tries to insult Paul Jones? You think Gary Hart would stand for being insulted like that? No. Well, let me tell you something, Rotundo. You may be around this profession a very short time. You may be unexperienced. But you keep on messing with me, and you're going to be in professional wrestling a very, very short time. And another thing I'd like to say right now, Jerry Briscoe, there's only one great American hero in this world, and that is Dick Slater. I am the last surviving hero among all professional wrestlers. But Jerry Briscoe and Jack Briscoe, you bunch of stinking drunken Indians, come out here and try to re rescue some little guy that comes over here and pretends like he's a good athlete. That reminds me of Piper, and I haven't seen Piper around in a little while. Where is Rodney Piper at? Where is your mouth, Piper? You know, I am involved in a lot of things around here. And 
All right, the crowd. I don't have to be insulted by anybody here. I'd like to say hello to Gary Hart because Gary Hart and myself go back a long way. He's a man with a lot of class, and he's a man that, that's taken professional wrestling in his own pride. He's many of the greatest wrestlers that there's been in the ring. Right here, fans. Gary Hart, are you manager trying to cut of the me great Kabuki. Now? I was just going to ask you, what in the world are you doing here? Well, right now I'm having a little personal problem. The great Kabuki has been deported from the United States because of actions that they say were committed in the state of Texas. So, therefore, I'm more or less out scouting the great talent. And there's no greater talent than right here in the Mid-Atlantic. And I'm here checking it out. May look to spend a few dollars. May want to purchase some contracts. May like to move my operations mm. up into this area. Soon as I get the personal problems with the immigration settled with the great Kabuki, I can bring him back into this country. But until then, I am going to go to certain areas in wrestling that are dominant with leading contenders. And the Mid-Atlantic, they definitely have the leading contenders for Ric Flair's title. And I'm looking to spend some cash and maybe have a good time. You're talking about talent. Boy, we've got the talent here. You've seen a little bit of it already during this program. Fabulous talent in the Mid-Atlantic area. As I said before, I'm looking to spend some money, and I think the talent that I'm looking at here is not going to be cheap, so I'm going to have to get my checkbook ready because I'm definitely interested. So, wow. Sir Oliver Humperdinck, I thought coming into the area was a, was a nice breath of fresh air, and now we've got Gary Hart coming into the area, Roman. He doesn't have any clients as of yet, but he invoked the name of the great Kabuki, as some fans will remember, as while we were watching the Ninja alongside Gene Anderson going after the boogie-woogie man Jimmy Valiant, Gary Hart was on WTBS saying, any other person you see spitting the mist and in the face paint, that person is an imposter. There is only one great Kabuki, and it sounds like he plans on bringing him back to the area. So I take this as a great upgrade here. No offense to Sir Oliver Humperdinck, but happy days here with Gary Hart looking like he's in the area. Yeah, and a, an explanation of Kabuki being deported and uh, Hart saying that he has money. So he's in the area to scout talent. So I guess he wanted talent immediately. I don't know how long it takes to get Kabuki back into the country because you figured he could have used some of that money to get Kabuki back in the States, but he wanted to scout some other talent here in the Mid-Atlantic area, and there's a new manager in the horizon. So Gary Hart, where he comes, there's normally some excitement, so this could be a good thing for the Mid-Atlantic fans. We go to another break, and when we, we come back, we finally get what the main event of the show really is, and that is more footage from last Saturday night, Tag Team Championship title tilt, Slaughter and Carnoodle against Steamboat and Youngblood. Now, with David Crockett and Johnny Weaver on the call, we pick up on the video where we left off at the beginning of the broadcast. Youngblood has locked Kernoodle in the Cobra Clutch. Kernoodle begins to fade, drops to one knee. Then he was flat on his back, nearly out when Slaughter makes the save. Feeling that discretion was the better part of valor, the champions attempt to leave, and here's where we will pick up the audio of the brawl that takes place between these four men. The referee trying to get somebody out of the ring as all four are going out. Here's Slaughter Canoe, both ex exiting the ring. Steamboat cuts them off. 
They're trying to leave. General Sergeant trying to leave, but they won't let him. They won't let him. They're, they're fighting. Got them both. They're up. All four out there, David. Into the post goes the Sergeant. All right, this took. That match went on and on outside the ring. They're back in the ring now. Steamboat has Kernodal. Kernodal, his head is taking a beating. Hard chops to the head of Kernodal. Here's the second referee in the ring trying to restore some order. Steamboat just charges at Kernodal with a double thrust. Here's the sergeant back in the ring. Down goes one referee. Right. Law and order now. It's out of control. This whole match is out of control. Slaughter into the post right there. Here's a chair in the ring. Steamboat with a chair on Cardoodle's head. What on Slaughter? Now you see, the referees, but you have two referees. They don't have control. Completely out of control now. Cardoodle pounding away at Jay's head. Jay throws a chop back. Unbelievable mayhem in the ring right here as all four men pounded each other. Two referee, one's already down. They the hit. bell has been they've, rung. They've rung the bell. They're still going. The referee both on Slaughter's head. Another chop. Looks like all the men are lacerated. No way to stop it. I'll jump in just in here to voice over for a second that you can't really do any justice to this listening to it. This is one of those things that I would implore you to check out as soon as you can because as the road to Greensboro builds, this out-of-control brawl uh, pays a pivotal moment. Nothing has to be done about it. Look at this. Both uh, both Canoodles let her down. They're wailing away at their foreheads. There's a referee trying to do something. There's another referee trying to stop it. They're not going to stop. The bell is long since rang, and they still continue at it. Look at Canoodle. He's on Jay Youngblood. Slaughter's head is cut. They went outside the ring. Inside out. The... Now oh. we had to call the wrestlers in, John. And they still cannot stop the mess. Still no law and order is restored. They still want to go at each other. A wild, wild inning, and no wonder this is being called a bloodbath. You hear Johnny Weaver, dramatic at the end. That's why they call it a bloodbath. Steamboat and Youngblood, really not busted open, but Slaughter and Kernoodle absolutely were, especially Kernoodle, bleeding like a stuck pig. Both bad guys on their heels. Tried to run away to save their belts. Steamboat and Youngblood would not let them. It got out of control. Even the baby faces put hands on the two referees, Tommy Young and Stu Schwartz. Chucked them all over the place. As you heard David Crockett say, they call in the wrestlers from the back. They try to break them up. They can't do anything about it. It is out of control between these four teams. And oh yeah, let's not forget. Jay Youngblood put Don Kernoodle in the Cobra Clutch and pretty much had him choked out to the ground, Roman. Awesome time last Saturday night in Greensboro. Well, first of all, I want to say what a great job by Mid-Atlantic in starting off the show 
with a snippet of this match and saying, you know, if you want to see more, stay tuned. I mean, who wouldn't want to stay tuned and see the rest of this? And uh, just absolutely chaos. And then the storytelling of Youngblood having Carnoodle in the Cobra hold. And, of course, Youngblood knows the effects of the Cobra hold because it's been put on him and put him out of action. Slaughter knows the effects of it because he's the master of it. So he immediately runs in to break it up. A steamboat of all people runs in with the chair and he's swinging that, you know, steamboat, the ultimate baby face got so riled up that he brought, brought in the chair. It, uh, if you were a referee, it didn't matter whether it was a baby face heel, you were getting tossed around. So that that's a big no, no. in wrestling back then to throw the ref around and then slaughter throws steamboat over the top rope and onto the concrete. In many federations back in the day, that was a disqualification. That was a fine, you know, so that was a big deal. Just absolutely chaos, and they, they could not keep these guys apart, and uh, all rules went out the window, and just this was just excitement personified. Plus, how satisfying was it? Because we talked about it on the last show with some of the stuff that took place in Charlotte, including that Greg Valentine champ match, Brian Blair as well as Jack Briscoe defending the title against Dory Funk Jr., Roddy Piper, and Dusty Rhodes teaming up. We only got snippets of that. So, And that's generally, for newer fans out there who happen to be listening, who did not grow up watching these things and watching territorial wrestling when it happened, most of the time they would go off the show teasing you, or they would only tease you because they wanted to draw you out to the arenas because that's where they made their money. So when we got the completion of an angle or an entire match that took place, taped in advance, taped from an arena, it was always a big deal. It was always made to feel like a big deal because obviously they were pushing something. There was some sort of angle. There was some sort of big doings that was taking place. And here we get this incredible brawl between Steamboat and Youngblood, Slaughter and Kernoodle. It was just awesome. And we are going to see later on in this broadcast where this eventually leads. But, Roman, we heard Steamboat and Youngblood talk last week on the show about all of the violence that's been taking place and the fact that they've been taken out of their comfort zone as wrestlers and they've gone into the battle, but they've also held up their end of the deal and they've gotten a lot harder themselves because they've, they've learned Johnny Weaver's sleeper hold. They've now learned the Cobra Clutch, and oh yeah, there's that little issue of the Sarge's campaign hat and Kernoodle's jacket making their way out of the Hill locker room, which we still need to figure out what happened there. Yeah, and there, there was so much excitement in this four, five, six, whatever minute, how many minutes this was that, it, and they showed the right stuff. You know, they didn't show you know any rest holds or anything ridiculous. I mean, what they showed just made you go, my gosh, I wish I could have been sitting front row ringside. And if they come to my town, I'm definitely buying a ticket to that. I mean, that was great. Uh, an infomercial advertisement, whatever you want to call it, to go see them at the arena because you knew you were going to get your money's worth. As the footage faded out from that match, David Crockett was standing by with the National Wrestling Alliance's troubleshooting official, Sandy Scott, who had some big announcements to make. And Sandy Scott, like I said, the NWA has to do something. I think you're here for that. 
Well, David, the NWA uh, board looked at this here piece of film that we just seen here, and certainly has to ha something has to be done about it, and they are going to do something about it. And I like to call in uh, Canuto and uh, Sarge over here. Uh, the conduct that you showed in this match and other matches that they've had, the NWA is going to levy a fine at you, and it's one of the biggest fines that the National Wrestling Alliance has ever given out. Well, what about Steamboat and Youngboat? They were involved in this match. How about them getting fined? Don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. Well, I'd just like to say to you, Sandy Scott, you know, when I found out yesterday morning that you and the NWA board of representatives looked at the film and you got a hold of all the referees and all the promoters all over the country, and you said that we were going to be fine, and like you said, the biggest fine of all, I was very, very angry at that time with you, Sandy Scott, and the National Wrestling Alliance. But after I talked to my partner, Don Cronuttle, and we spoke to our lawyer, we had decided to take the matter the way we should as gentlemen. We know what the fine was, and I have to say it was a big fine, and we just like to pay this fine to you, Sandy Scott, the National Wrestling Alliance. And with this fine, take this fine, take the check. We want to say to you, the National Wrestling Alliance, the wrestling fans, and especially Steve Oden and Youngblood, that were finished wrestling them. They're not going to get any more shots at this title. We're finished with them. That's it. Thank you for your fine, but you will wrestle them one more time. What are you talking about wrestling one more time? We've got commitments. We're supposed to be going over to Japan. We're going all over the world to defend these titles. And we've got a great big vacation planned for ourselves in Hawaii, three weeks off in the sun, and we're not wrestling no steamboat and no young blood anymore. Well, you, you fulfill your commitments, but forget about your vacation because you will be wrestling them one more time in a title match in March. No way. We ain't wrestling nobody in March. We're on vacation in March, Sandy Scott. No way. And I told you before, we're not wrestling them. We're not wrestling them. We're the champions. We got something to say around here. No matter what you say, you are going to wrestle them one more time for a title in March and in a cage. And no! No way! You're not putting this in a cage! Sandy Scott! No! Oh, big, big, big announcements coming from Sandy Scott. There are fines that have been levied against Slaughter and Kernoodle. One, two, can you assume? Probably also as well to Steamboat and Youngblood. We'll have to find out about that a little later on in the broadcast. But bottom line is Slaughter and Kernoodle will not be able to go on their Hawaiian vacation in March because they have to defend the titles at least one more time against Steamboat and Youngblood in March in a cage. Looks like we've got our final conflict, Roman. Kaboom! What a bombshell that was dropped. And and you think back, you know, months ago, the 180 that Sergeant Slaughter has done, he would constantly come out on promos and say, where's the competition? There's nobody that can handle us. There's no, no competition for us. To now, oh, I'll pay the fine as long as we don't have to wrestle him in it anymore. He knew that Steamboat and Youngblood were up to the challenge and they wanted no part of them. And I thought it was funny how no date was mentioned. And Scott says in March, and then Slaughter goes, well, we're on vacation in March. So evidently they were going to take the whole month of March off, you know, which I thought was kind of funny. But yeah, what a bombshell, a cage match and then Slaughter's reaction 
was great, showing that he wanted no part of it. You know, playing the role of the heel, he does not want to give the baby faces one more chance because, quite frankly, I think he knows baby faces can win the titles. I feel so sorry for Sweet Brown Sugar here because at the, at this point in the show now, it, it, was that available to fans in the studio? Probably not, and and we'll talk about a little later on why that is, but after this it's the it's spot it's the spot for our second in lieu of promo our, our second run of localized promos so we have the in lieu of promo that takes place with sweet brown sugar and dizzy hogan and good promo from sweet brown sugar he takes up all of the time during it they just have dizzy say a little bit at the end which is perfect exactly what you wanted it to be and then Gary Hart joins Bob on commentary for the Sweet Brown Sugar Dizzy Hogan against Ken, Ken Timms and Jim Dalton match. And, I mean, 7 minutes and 45 seconds, Dizzy got the win by power slamming Timms, getting the victory here. But, Roman, I mean, I'm not sure how much you want to talk about this match, but it essentially was just a showcase for Dizzy and Sugar to work together as a team, as it looks like they're going to be the under undercard babyface tag team, you know, that, that Parsons and, and uh, Porkchop Cash were for a little while, and we've had other little combinations. It looks like they're going to be that group, so they're giving them a little bit of time together, as well as giving Dizzy a little bit of time in the ring, uh, too. So... Do you have much to talk about uh, when it comes to this? Because my mind was still too gassed up with Slaughter and Carnoodle and everything that's going on with them. Yeah, it's hard to follow Slaughter and Carnoodle, you know. So like you say, you feel kind of bad for Sugar and Hogan. But I, I think the star of this match was Gary Hart on commentary, you know, saying kind of hinting that Dizzy Hogan could be a possibility to be one of his uh, members of his family and uh, – he needs some good advice and he's not going to get it from sweet brown sugar. But something I thought was funny was when Hart said he could get a lawyer to help slaughter and Carnoodle get out of their match against steamboat and Youngblood. I thought that was kind of funny. One of the things I always liked about Gary Hart, there was always a, a real feel to Gary Hart, whether he was out there announcing just how he came across, he just came across as a kind of a snaky guy, but he always felt real. So that always helped him on commentary too, at least with me. So yeah, Sweet Brown Sugar, Dizzy Hogan get the victory, and then we got a dejected-looking Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood who came out to speak with Bob about what took place in Greensboro, and they know that they're going to have to take their medicine because Sandy Scott comes out. And this is why I believe that the pre-tape with Slaughter and Carnoodle and Sandy Scott did not play before the audience because Steamboat and Youngblood... Either we're not watching the monitors earlier or had no idea whatsoever what was going to be coming their way, not only when it came to the fine, but also when it came to the announcement that we would hear and it popped the fans as well to Ricky Steamboat Jay Youngblood meet with Sandy Scott. Here we go. Exciting hour. We were going to try to get Rick Steamboat, Jay Youngblood out here. We wanted to talk to them about what happened and what happened with the World Tag Team Champions, Sergeant Slaughter and Don Canodle, and also what the NWA has told Slaughter and Canodle that they got to do. And right here they are, 
Rick Steamboat, Jay Youngblood. How you doing, Bob? Rick, we saw it. The fans saw the film, and they saw what happened. And I can tell you, and I know you two fellows are simply sick about it. You know something, Bob, that's uh, true, very, very true. Uh, Jason and myself, over the years that we've been tag team combination, has stood back and stood back behind our own wrestling abilities and used it in the ring. We understand that over the past couple months, the things have been turned around. The run-ins, the brawls that we've been having with Sergeant Slaughter and Don Canoodle. There's really no real explanation for this, and other than the fact that we're trying to get those belts as hard as we can. We're trying to get them for the fans, and they're not letting us do it. And it just came out to it just broke out into a big brawl. All right, and right here behind me, yeah, our special representative for the NWA for this area, Sandy Scott. Sandy? Wow, uh, Bob and uh, Ricky and Jay, uh, as you've seen by that film, uh, that was a back-alley brawl. Uh, that wasn't professional right. wrestling. And the NWA has slapped a fine on you fellas. And may I add, it's one of the on biggest fines ever in professional wrestling. On these fellas here, too? Yes. We've been fined? Yes. We've been fined also. Yes. We've been fined also. That's right. I'm sort of stunned by that. And I, I, well, we can't have we, we, we can't have this going on. There has to be law and order. And uh, if they want to get out of line like this, then we're going to hit them in the pocketbook. I tell you, Sandy, that's that's a pretty tough blow. All right, now wait a minute. They they've conferred over there. How long do we have for this for this fine to be paid? I'm sure, like I said, it's the biggest one in NWA history. Well, how long do we have? To, you know. Well, we like it paid before the official signing of the match, which probably be next week. One week. One right, week. Okay. Jason, you know we're gonna to have to dig someplace to get some. From what uh, we've heard, is some fines have been passed along in the in the past, and there've been some pretty heavy fines around this Mid Atlantic area. And getting involved with Nature Boy and, uh, and a lot of other guys, and you just said everybody told everybody out here that this is one of the biggest fines levied upon professional wrestlers today. And we got until next week. Okay, we'll cover it. No problem. We're gonna. We want this match with these guys. We'll cover that fine. Ricky and Jay, you have one more. Match with them. Right. A title match. Right. A title match right. in March. All right. Okay. In a cage. In a cage. In a cage. Title match March in a cage. How? You tell how? How did Sergeant Slaughter and Don? How did they sign? They're gonna. They said okay to a cage match. Or you just put? Oh, you put their backs up against the wall for this thing. The NWA. The four of you are guaranteed a title match in March in a cage. Oh, hot dog! Oh, we'll pay. Hey, we'll pay that fine. Uh, no, hey, we'll some way, somehow, we're gonna pay that cage match. That's right for the championship. All right, fans, that'll do it for this week, and we'll see you next week. And until then, so there we hear it. Good times are here again for the baby faces and the wrestling fans. Ricky Steamboat, Jay Youngblood, get the match. Sergeant Slaughter, Don Carnoodle in a cage in March. As long as they can pay their fines, Slaughter and Carnoodle Roman, we already know, have paid theirs. But that is a nice bow to put on the end of this program. Yes, and I thought it would have been fun to mention the amount for the fine. I thought that would have been kind of interesting. They said it was the biggest fine in the history of the NWA. You know, when numbers are thrown around like that, it can be funny. You know, I remember back in Georgia when... Ronnie Garvin was trying to get a shot of the TV title from Jake Roberts. Paul Ellering says, well, you got to come up with 30,000. And then the next week when Garvin had the money, well, now it's 32,000. And they just kept bumping it up to 37,500 and Ronnie Garvin's dog. But anyway, I thought that would have been kind of cool if they threw a number out there. But yeah, Sandy Scott's 
temperament, if you want to call it that, or his nature was a lot different with the baby faces as compared to with the heels, you know, when he snapped at slaughter, don't worry about what I'm finding them, but with steamboat and them, it's just, okay, pay the fine. You know, you got a title shot and knowing it's coming up in March, I'm sure everybody in that area was like, my gosh, I hope it comes to my town, you know, cause no date or venue was mentioned. So I'm sure everybody was licking their chops, hoping it was coming to their town. Well, Roman, any other thoughts that you have on the show? You know, we didn't really get into Briscoe and Ricky Harris at the beginning of the show or anything like that, but any other final thoughts on the program before we get out of here? Ah, man, if it was a pay-per-view, I'd be ready to call my cable company and put my money down to see Steamboat and Youngblood versus Slaughter and Carnoodle. Great job on this week's episode. After Mid-Atlantic was taped, it was time for Worldwide Wrestling, and here are the results from there. Dizzy Hogan and Sweet Brown Sugar defeated Rick Harris and Larry Lane. Dory Funk Jr. defeated Frank Monty. Dick Slater defeated Mike Thompson. And Mid-Atlantic Television Champion Mike Rotundo defeated Ken Timms. And now let's take a little time to see where we're going. Let's take time for this commercial message about the Mid-Atlantic wrestling events coming up in your area. We start off on Thursday night, February 10th in Norfolk at The Scope. Here are the top matches from that night. Roddy Piper and Jerry Briscoe defeated Greg Valentine and Dick Slater. Jack Briscoe won a 12-man battle royal. And NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair defeated Ricky Steamboat. Friday night, the 11th in Charleston at County Hall. Sweet Brown Sugar defeated the Ninja. Dick Slater defeated Jerry Briscoe. And Jack Briscoe defeated Dory Funk Jr. by disqualification. On Saturday night, February 12th in Sumter, South Carolina at the Exhibition Center, Sweet Brown Sugar defeated the one-man gang, Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle defeated Mike Rotundo and Jerry Briscoe, and NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair defeated the boogie-woogie man Jimmy Valiant. On Sunday afternoon, February 13th in Asheville at the Civic Center, Steamboat and Youngblood defeated Greg Valentine and Dick Slater, Jimmy Valiant defeated Terry Funk, and the Briscoe brothers defeated Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle by disqualification. That night in Charlotte at the Coliseum, the Briscoe brothers defeated Don Carnoodle and Sergeant Slaughter by disqualification. Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood defeated Dick Slater and Greg Valentine. Dory Funk Jr. defeated Mike Rotundo. The Boogie Woogie Man Jimmy Valiant defeated Terry Funk. One Man Gang defeated Dizzy Hogan. Tommy Gilbert and Johnny Weaver defeated Gene Anderson and Larry Lane and Abe Jacobs defeated Jim Dalton. On Monday, February 14th, in Piedmont, South Carolina, at the Wren High School, top matches, Jay Youngblood defeated Larry Lane, Ricky Steamboat defeated Greg Valentine, and Don Carnoodle and Sergeant Slaughter defeated Mike Rotundo and Sweet Brown Sugar. Also on Monday the 14th, in Lumberton, North Carolina, at the Rec Center, there was a spot show that saw Dory Funk Jr. face off against Jack Briscoe in the main event. On Tuesday, February 15th in Columbia, South Carolina at the Township Auditorium, Jay Youngblood and Ricky Steamboat defeated Greg Valentine and Dick Slater. Jack Briscoe defeated Dory Funk Jr. in a Texas death match. Jerry Briscoe defeated Larry Lane via pinfall. And Ricky Morton defeated Rick Harris via pinfall as well. Also on Tuesday in Burlington, North Carolina at the Cummings High School, Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle defeated Mike Rotundo and Sweet Brown Sugar. Jimmy Valiant defeated Paul Jones, amongst other matches. And that takes us back around to Wednesday, February 16th, Charlotte, North Carolina, the WPCQ Studios. Here's the WWE Network preview for next week. 
There is no next week. There is no preview for Peacock or the WWE Network as, for whatever reason, those shows have not been added to their library. But once again, we'll have you covered here on the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast. Through the magic of videotape that's been converted to DVD, we will be reviewing the February 19th, 1983 edition of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Another pivotal stop on the road to Greensboro. As I mentioned earlier on, I invite you to follow us across our many forms of social media, Instagram, Facebook, but especially on Twitter, where we are the most active and interactive. Just search at MidAtlanticPod. We would also really appreciate you following us on YouTube, youtube.com slash MidAtlanticPod, and consider supporting the show via Patreon, search patreon.com, slash Mid-Atlantic Podcast. I also invite you to support all of the programs and content here on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. We don't condescend, and we are dedicated to preserving and accurately archiving the history of professional wrestling. And I'm proud that this show, produced by me, can be a part of that. For Roman Gomez, I'm Mike Sempervivi. Take us home, Bob Cottle and Tony Schiavone. That's going to do it for this week. We'll see you next week. And until then, so long for now. Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling is a presentation of the JCP Sports Network and has been furnished to the station for broadcast at this time in exchange for commercial consideration.